it works because people do want something different, but they don't know that they want something different because there's not enough different around. All of these things have taught me, okay, I, I always did things in a playful way, but then things got too heavy because it didn't have the right boundaries around me. So I allowed things, other people to make them heavy. Such a power and energy around women at this age. And I think it's an extraordinary age. Fabulous to meet you. Do, 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 do. Hey everybody, welcome to Fabulous to Meet You, season two. I'm Yolanda Drool. I'm founder of the Fabulosity Movement, which is also a habit and a life philosophy. Today's episode is with our fabulous Emma Boardman, who I'd never met before. She is an incredible, inspirational woman who really lives from the heart, uh, inspires so many women to really dig deep into themselves and find out what's important to them and create lives, reinvent themselves, create lives that fill them up and light them up. Um, she's got some health issues and um, she realized early on that she needed to look after her health in order to thrive. And so she is very moderate in how she runs her life in terms of the pressure that she puts on herself. So she makes sure that everything that she does is in alignment with her and what an amazing way to live. What an inspiration. And uh, there's so many things that she mentioned in our conversation that I certainly will take to heart. So I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, and we'll see you again soon. Emma, I, I know nothing about you. I came across you in a friend of mine's feed. You said something fabulous to her, and I thought, I, I want to meet that woman. And let me just explain to the, the lovely audience that Emma has a slight hearing problem, I understand. So that's why I'm going to speak a little bit louder. Emma, you are so fabulous. Please tell me about you. You, you live in Mallorca. Just I told do. Me. Living in Mallorca now for eight years and counting. I moved here from England, born in Dorset, but I moved to London as soon as I could get away. I went to, I trained originally um, as a professional dancer. That was my first chosen career. Oh my goodness. So this is kind of winding back many years. And I came out of my dance training and moved straight into London. And there I had a fantastic career. There's many, many layers of TV and performing and, and film. And I had, I say, a very interesting career. Um, as a professional dancer, when you're in that world, you get cast for many things. I had quite a commercial appeal. I was an ex-gymnast before that. So the opportunities that came up were extraordinary and many opportunities for, hey, I had, can, can you do this? How's your, how's your kung fu? How's your skateboarding? How's your thing for commercials, for movies? And one of the funniest things that was, um, I'd actually retired at this point. So 28 I was just thinking about going into business and I got cast as the stunt double the gymnastic stunt double on the Lara Croft movie now that was filming at Pinewood at the time and it was it was a huge opportunity and they did the casting on a trampette on a little mini trampoline and because of my years of dancing and performing and and always playing like such stylized characters in commercials and things. I was able to properly style out the get the guns out stuff and uh, work the, the kind of tumbling into what they wanted. 
But unfortunately, I hadn't, I'd retired from gymnastics at 16 and hadn't trained. So can you imagine being on set? It was brutal. Four weeks in stunt rehearsals at Pinewood Studios. And I, I can't tell you that I, I can, I've never felt actually so weak, really, because the stunt team, the stunt world, uh, the stunt register, it's a very closed and 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 very cliquey organisation. And I wasn't on the stunt register, but nobody on the stunt register at the time had the gymnastic skills to replicate what they wanted for the, the, the stunts from, because it had only been done on a computer animation. No real human had actually ever executed the jumping off a stone, lying off one leg and doing a brani and getting the, the guns out and all of the stuff that was in the original game they wanted to bring to real life. So I did my best during these days and at Pinewood. I literally couldn't walk. Imagine, you know, when you're so out of shape. Aesthetically, I can do a somersault. I could even pull off a trick today coming up to 50, which I'm very proud of. I won't be able to walk for about a month afterwards <laughs> while I'm going. Um, but at this time, it was a really horrible, there was no good energy. There was no one on my side on the thing. I was just remember going to bed at night thinking, please give me the power to do these moves. I just didn't have the strength. It was out of training. And hey, that was, I don't know where we've gone really down this story. I don't really share this very often because some people credit is one of my credits. I was cast as the gymnastic stunt double, but unfortunately I never came to be able to do the movie because I was broken after four weeks on the stunt set. So that's just quite an interesting part of that world was crazy. I was cast in a top 10 German pop group in 1996 and flown to Germany to be the um, like one of the front girls in this band that had charted really well with a massive hit that was the song for German football in the Euros. And I mean, had a year as being a pop star. I can't even sing. I was miming. And again, everything always came back to the fact that I could do backflips. It was hilarious. Oh, can we just spend two minutes on that? So you were in a band, but you can't sing. You were miming. <laughs> I was more about that. How did that even happen? I know, because again, this the commercial world in London, is, they're kind of like a pool of commercial dancers who are a similar height. They've got the right kind of look. You see commercial dancers on TV and they're all a similar height. The really long leggy ones go off and do the cruise ships or the Lido in Paris. And the really short ones go to Japan. So it's really quite brutal. And I was lucky, like five foot six and a half, like spot on the commercial heights that, and had a commercial look. And the fact that I could do backflips was literally the key to me having an amazing career. I wasn't the best dancer. I was really actually quite rubbish at remembering choreography. It was like I didn't really want to be doing what everyone else was doing, which I think is quite a strong element of my character now but I never really wanted to be doing the same thing so getting chosen the 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 band flew over to London and it was at Pineapple Studios they um cast it was just an audition for the they wanted two girls to take back to be in the band because the band was too male at the time they had the lead singer who was male they had the backing uh it was actually Rastafarian percussionists doing capoeira on the stage. It was a really animated, fabulous um, act. And they wanted two females just to, to balance it out. So it, what happens in a dance audition is they, they'll do a routine and everyone does the routine. And normally they 
they select from the people who are kind of looking okay and they'll, they'll take it through stages so thank you you guys stay the rest of you thank you very much um when we get it down maybe to the last 10 and they say okay you're our shortlist has anybody got any special tricks so put your hand up <laughs> I was not popular for that reason. Imagine they're all trying to throw a cartwheel or do something, and I could go boom, 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 boom. Nailed it every wow. time. That's impressive. So it did come in so so handy, and it's hilarious how much was shaped by the ability to do backflips in that particular environment. And it went it wasn't happening like today. They're all tricking. It's the, the American ways come through. There's a lot more street in the commercial. Scene, you've got Cirque du Soleil, professional gymnasts are kind of everywhere now. But back in my day, there wasn't really, there was about two or three of us who could trick that to that level. So anyway, they a week and a half later, were whisked off to Germany, given a given an apartment and a, a tour schedule and say, OK, we'll pick you up on Tuesday um, for the rehearsals. It's extraordinary. So they'd thrown in and we were in rehearsals and next thing we know, we were on stage doing math. Massive concerts, massive concert tours with NSYNC when they were first brought to Europe. And it was crazy, crazy time. So you got to wear amazing costumes, presumably. You got to mime the songs and you got to do backflips on the stage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can't. This is why I'm saying there's been so many layers of ridiculous in my life. Oh, especially not not, but not bad ridiculous. Fabulous, I would call it. Let's hear some more. Like off the charts. I mean, this is just little bits. This isn't even getting started. That's years ago. But I think what is what's exciting about myself to me is because that was all so extreme. There's no limitations, and and I've pulled off already the most ridiculous things. So coming into the world of starting businesses and and having visions for what do I want now? What do I want each chapter to look like? I have no limits and, and stuff that, and this is, I think, a really lovely thing that I've always tried to share with anybody I'm working with or, or people I'm talking to is people put so many limitations around themselves and I'm like, just throw it away. So I want to live every day like it's kind of a movie, basically. <laughs> well, you look like a movie star. And can I ask, so what work do you do now then? Let's let's jump to, to the present and then we'll fill in the, the other bits. So long, long story edited quickly, I went into business after realising once you'd been fronting a, a top 10 European Euro trash band, yeah. you couldn't really go back and dance in behind anyone else anymore. That was You'd become a star. I don't do going backwards. That's one thing. Everything has to feel like a progression in some way. So I was like, I'm going to go into business. So I started a company pimping out my good looking and talented friends and started an entertainment agency. Fantastic. I was surrounded by fabulous people who had, looked amazing, had great skills. And again, we're talking 2002 before everybody had a website. So with contacts and connections, and I just happened to be dating somebody who was brilliant at making some of the early websites. So suddenly there I am with my amazing website and I and I did really well and this grew into becoming a production company and again when I got into creating really experiential exciting events for corporate and luxury brand clients 
And again, my visions never stopped where everyone else's did because I saw things in a different way and I wanted to take things beyond what had ever really been done before. And I, I don't respect the status quo in any industry because I think things can always be better. So this has been a, probably a character trait which I take with me every day in every way, whatever I do. So I've had jumped into now several industries with different businesses, depending where I've been at the time. And each thing, I've had no respect for how things have been done. I want to do things in the best way I can possibly manage to do them, whatever that looks like. And, and I kind of become a bit of an industry disruptor. Accidentally, just shaping each chapter with through my lens and actually it works because people do want something different but they don't know that they want something different because there's not enough different around so I think I, at the moment I'm reinventing myself again because I had a son I have a son I still have a son <laughs> it sounds like I had a child uh, he's just 10 now 10 and a half um I divorced my husband four years ago. We moved together as a family to Mallorca because when my son was two, I didn't like being in the suburbs with not people who weren't necessarily challenging or exciting me. Not, I don't, I'm sure there were some lovely people there, but I didn't find them. So I was like, he's two. We're looking at these really serious schools. I felt like as an imposter when I was being a parent, as a mother. I, I found that everyone else seemed to just properly pull on this mum hat. And they were like, mum. And everything was from a mum perspective. And I was like, I am a mum, but I'm kind of not as well. It's, it's not everything that I am. I really struggled with the mum world, the mum school run thing. Because, I don't know, I, I didn't feel like I fitted into that because... My son and I, we, since my um, husband was living in another country for the last four years and he was just being holiday dad, we just muddled through making it happen every day. There was no hierarchy of me parent, you child. Da, 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 da. We kind of just rolled through. Okay, so we need to be there at two o'clock. So if you can just get your stuff ready. And it was easy. There was no shouting. There was no none of the drama that I see people stressing them themselves out so much to they make it way too serious and I'm like why we just we just got to get through things in the most beautiful way we can it's like so this last Christmas I recognized my son was really missing his father and they weren't getting to, to bond or get to know each other in the way that I knew him so I suggested maybe he's coming he's 10 now why doesn't he come and spend time with you? And you really forge a bond because I've had oh, so much with this little boy. He's wonderful for 10 years and I've had all of him. And it seems unfair because you're a great person and you can add a lot of value to this child. And boys need that daddy influence. And I was starting to feel like I needed to posture up a little bit and be a little bit masculine in 
just as he's growing up. I don't know if you have children. I don't know your story. I've got boys as well, and that's very much the case. Yes, definitely. I really felt like he needed something that wasn't just my feminine me and didn't want to start having to be a bit bullshy because we hadn't really gone there. So that's why I thought it was time for Daddy to step in and and shape this next chapter. And I became holiday mum at Easter. So that's why I say I had a I have a son, but I'm not anymore in the the rhythm of having to be mum every day, which has been an extraordinary opportunity. He's in a beautiful school, beautiful environment, gorgeous, safe, lovely place, but a little bit more expansive than Mallorca. And because he'd been reared in Mallorca from the age of two, he is Mallorquin and he's fluent in Spanish, which is amazing. That was something which I didn't mention. I started a kid's language brand when he was six months old, because again, my inspiration for starting a business happens where I am. What's my circumstances? What are my needs? What is What do I want that's not available? And then I will make it based on what's around me. So I never rely on anybody else to create my world for me. I just, I was a mum and I was a little bit of a frustrated housewife. That wasn't really my thing. I tried my best to be grateful for being given a lovely opportunity to do nothing for a while but it really wasn't my um favorite kind of role I I love doing not making house nice but I don't want that to again be everything so so Luke who was six months old we hired we brought an Italian nanny to live with us because my ex was half Italian and that gave me some thinking space I went for a lovely long sleep for the first time in months because I had somebody there for Luca and I had a lucid dream that dropped the most ridiculous idea in and I woke up like so clear I had a brand name I had a concept I knew exactly what I wanted this to look like and it was ridiculous because it was basically the it was called Bambini Lingo the multilingual kids club at the time it was like the brilliant way for preschoolers to learn foreign languages And I dreamt that this would be a mum baby class, but with a very theatrical element to it and beautiful songs and singing in a in the target language of that lesson, if it was French or Spanish, but done in a really way like it was almost you were in a TV show for the experience. Because, again, my level doesn't just stop at we don't just have to have some annoying person waving a tambourine in our face. We can make these experiences lovely for the parents as well. And I was lacking as a parent with a baby, seeing something that I was that I wanted to go to that had a good vibe about it. So I made my own and I started it at home and translated nursery rhymes, recruited locally for French, Spanish, German, Mandarin teachers and just created a program. And again, I don't think, I think we're so capable of doing so many things, but I never wanted to put too much of a title around myself. So when there's a new situation, it's not like, oh, I can't do that because I'm only this. It's like, well, I want this to happen. I will bring in advice and I'll get people to support. And and I had like an education specialist to give me some structure around the framework of the program. And but it's the, the early years curriculum doesn't change. It's like colors, numbers, farm animals, transport the same thing forever so to make this more exciting and I kept saying I want my own music it wasn't enough for me to be translating the nursery rhymes that we've been singing forever and I mean wheels on the bus on repeat was 
well, and I was like, why is there not more? More nice stuff, not just Baby Shark. I don't really like that kind of vibe, but something more beautiful. This is such a singy songy's precious time between mummy, mummy, daddy, baby. Yes. I wanted to see a bit more variety in the... So I kept saying to everyone, yeah, yeah, it's going well. We even had people wanting to buy franchises for the concept. And I was selling them prematurely before, you know, this was just kind of happening. I wasn't thrilled about the franchising part because I didn't feel like what we had was strong enough yet, but people were excited enough to want to buy into it. So they bought in at a lower scale and, and I allowed them to help shape the programme. So it was hard work um, and a big learning curve there. But again, people thought it was successful, but for me, it wasn't special enough. Um, the lead singer from that band in Germany came to visit me in Mallorca and he said, he looks like Bambini Lingo's doing great. And I said, I still don't have my own music. And he said, you need to talk to Evo. And he put me on a Skype call with this huge music producer from Germany who was specializing in children's music. And, uh, we hit it off straight away. He loved the project. He said, I'm happy to produce your album, but um, for equity in the business, I believe in what you're doing. But he, I said, who's going to write the songs? And he said, you. And I said, oh, I've never actually written a song before. And I just went back and I was like, how I work creatively when, I, when I'm launching a new project or, or on something I need to write something particular as I just give myself the boundaries of a deadline that's all so as long as I know when I need to do this by then I just go into the zone and and, and I managed to download 13 songs for this album and they all I knew what my topics were and I knew what feeling I wanted the colors song I wanted it to feel dreamy like a rainbow and the action song was was like a little kind of dance number and I, and I so just went through topic my topic, and I, I was kind of so embarrassed when I presented the first song to him. And remember, I can't sing, so I write them and I lyrically have a feeling for the for the tune. I sing them to him in the toilet in my phone because <laughs> it's the best acoustics in there. <laughs> and then send him the lyrics with my really bad. I'm always apologising. So sorry. Um, send him the song. And he produces around that. And he, we do have a synergy with, he kind of captures my feeling. And I said, the only song that he ever went up the, down the wrong path for me was the colour song he originally tried to make too punchy. And I said, no, no, no. I want this to be dreamy. I want this to take you, make you breathe slower and deeper. But apart from that, he just kind of nailed it. So what happens is we then have our own songs. Um, we did five languages originally. And he said, I'm going to find a, a distribution deal for us and lots of conversations happening it ended up Amazon bought the album as an Amazon original and they we had to translate it into nine languages good heavens that's what I'm saying really good heavens unbelievable so you're like a magician aren't you I mean you just have this idea download what you need and get on with it this is what I'm saying it's it's extraordinary it's like it's, it's obviously it's not as breezy easy as that I mean there's lots of conversations they made me nearly bankrupt the company because I had to do so much stuff on the other side all the copy all the trademarking all the 
all, all the legal stuff to balance out the deal because obviously they don't just go into bed with anybody yeah. and I had to make videos to accompany the songs for the marketing on YouTube so although it, the bigger you go the bigger the other side or the bigger the stuff yeah. that you see that has to be done on the back but the learning's enormous and and the fun yeah. must be enormous the adventure and and oh so you yeah. It's just like, let's dive into the next thing. So can I ask you, Emma, so when you were doing that, did you have to earn a living through that business? I'm very good at asking or showing what I need. And I think when you're allowed to be brilliant, people somehow give you the space to be brilliant. Do you know what oh. yes. I, I love that. Allow yourself to be brilliant as well. Isn't that something to remember? There's, I, I just think we all get so caught up in the indoctrination of the matrix that we're in with the having to work, having to pay, da, 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 that people can't see on the other side. Now, I supported myself getting myself started in, I own two houses in central London when I was 32. I have sold them since. I don't actually own a property today. But I was a on-paper millionaire by the time I was 35. So I kind of leveraged different things at different times. Now, coming up to 50, it's strange. I don't have the same urge to be buying property. For me, it's more about creating asset in different ways, maybe because of my ability to download very original stuff. I'm now building up a catalogue of um, IP. So intellectual property, things I've written, people want to buy, there's, there's license deals on different things. So just doing things in a different way. And don't get me wrong, I want to have so many zeros in my bank account, I can't even count it. I'm really excited to really get back with these next projects. But it feels with all the learning of before. And I think that um, I was obsessed with buying the properties and stuff we kind of all were conditioned like that but you can live so much more simply than we think that we need I love to. I love that so much but you are using your skills your expertise to build up IP assets yes so for example if you're a writer can how many or you're a photographer how many stock shot libraries can you sell your pieces to and I mean people say oh you don't get that much but it's all in volume. So creating a lot more content that's just bringing you a subliminal residual income while you're sleeping. For me, the money while you sleep is the magic formula, not the hours we put in in the day. Mm, absolutely. And I think we've all got something unique that we can give to the world. And it's finding a way that we can monetize that uniqueness that's going to serve as many people as possible on a larger scale as possible. That's where the real value in us is. Should probably bring you to today. So that business, uh, Bambini Lingo, actually attracted some investors. The investors I was, were attracted to, to the project and I was expecting them to bring value as well as funds, but actually the value wasn't really given that, I'd say I've done this, now I want somebody to help with that part. And it didn't quite work out that, anyone was really delivering on the the next part that I uh, and you know what I think 
finding myself in a marriage which wasn't really serving us well, either of us. It's very draining, isn't it? I don't know. Um, it takes a lot out of you emotionally and physically. And um, I, my health wasn't really great being in not a perfect relationship. There was a, there was a lot of um, physical stuff manifesting. And then getting out of that four years ago, and a bit of a process of rebuilding. I think we never, we never take quite enough time to really recover from things. Kind of like, next, next, next. We don't, especially as women, we're always trying to make everything okay for everybody else. And yeah. very, very frequently, I think we miss out on actually nurturing ourselves. And I think the Miyoka experience for me has lent... It's treated me to um, a much more holistic way of thinking and being and realizing we need to nurture ourselves so carefully because then we can really bring our magic to the world. But without looking after ourselves, we're not really offering full value. And so the business burnt me out, actually. But I think there was a lot of factors involved. When I started it, I was a little bit proving that I wasn't just a housewife. So I was slightly out of alignment with the reason that I started the company. Also, a business which was education, languages, children, three things that weren't really my thing. Obviously, I love, I love my son, but I was not somebody who, who would ever dream of wanting to go and be a, a primary school teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like my hat off to primary school teachers. They are incredible beings. I could not do that work. So much respect for them. Why did I get this idea? I, I'm a monolingual British mother who has so many British people, um, especially living here in Spain, we're terrible with languages. And I didn't want the same thing for my son. So I'd read also that week that children are, are, are linguistic geniuses until they're five because the brain is wired for language. Yes. They find it very easy to learn language, don't they? Yeah. So that was that was the trigger for having that idea. But there were many things about it. I never felt comfortable really in that world because I felt such such a fraud in the sense that um, I know I'd created a great experience, but when it's coming to talk about the value of languages and children, I, uh, I knew that I was disrupting an industry and making people feel different. But I felt like I needed to bring in too many experts to validate my thing because it wasn't my thing, if that makes sense. Now, I know there was a bit of the, like the, the, the monolingual mum who starts a language business. Everyone thought it was hilarious. So how many languages do you speak with every interview? Um, well, just English. But um, yeah, I've, I've started this company. So the next generation aren't as silly as me with languages. That was the main um, goal. But... I definitely was slightly out of alignment, especially based on the alignment that I can now feel today. Um, there was some elements of me that were right, but I think by being slightly out of aligned and not really clear on my values back then, I think that I was slightly compromised on the people I allowed in and the people I allowed to advise me during that time. Does that make sense? It's kind yes. of, I was open for the wrong people to advise and the wrong, so it seemed like, how kind, you want to get involved, you want to throw some money in, cool. Okay, but not necessarily the 
for the best at that time. And in hindsight, I'm now very wary of who I accept investment from on projects because I've now the first business that I had investment in. So learning how to deal with it and the shares and the and I had obviously the 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 corporate lawyer who's saying, so what kind of shares do you want? To give them, do you want to issue A shares, B shares, blah, 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 voting shares, non-voting shares? And I was like, I found that all in days. So I was bringing in people just to help me read contracts because you can imagine the state of the the Amazon contracts, and it was all kind of felt quite heavy around it. And the part that I enjoyed most out of that whole project, which I ran for ten years, was writing the songs. That was just. I was in heaven and I just thought, I think as we get older, we learn and we should lean into the things that make our heart sing. And that part of it was just amazing. So I was thinking, okay, so how can I channel more of that? How can I get more opportunities? So I got a bit cocky and I was was saying, okay, so I'm an international children's songwriter now. And I have had opportunities to write stuff for Sony and stuff for Amazon. But actually, I realised that's actually even not enough for me. Do you know what I mean? It's not that's not my thing. It doesn't stop there. But that's a part to channel. And I think everything leads you to a closer alignment with ah the ha aha that feels good. So a little bit more of that and a da 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 da. And um, so I got really ill and had a classic burnout. I only have one kidney as well as being deaf. I'm quite compromised health-wise. I, I lost it. Uh, one of my kidneys just wasn't functioning. So they took it out when I was 24. So wow. I only have one, but I had um, last March, a terrible um, sepsis on my only kidney, which, you know, classic burnout stuff when you just hit a wall. I've been with the most beautiful um, German guy for the last two years who I found on Tinder. He's he's so kind and he's been like my wellness manager. He's just so gorgeous and it is the most beautiful relationship I've ever experienced, actually. Fantastic. He's been a really helping hand in being gentle with me, teaching me to be gentle with myself. But anyway, this burnout was a great thing to happen because it gave me the break that I needed. I was trying to do so much. Imagine sold eight franchises across Europe and then COVID hit. And then the responsibility to all these people who bought the concept for live activity programs. Yeah. And very few of them really had the technical ability, the on, on-screen presence to take anything online. So it was sad that there was no option for them but to obviously close their branches. But again... From a, people that buy a franchise, they need to have a certain amount of fight in them. And I think a lot of people buy a franchise because they think it's an easy route to doing their own thing. But there's a lot more that's needed. And I was obviously, early days, never franchised anything either. So I was excited when people wanted to buy. And I had a bit of a filtering process, but probably should have filtered harder in being more specific. Again, another learning curve. So. Fantastic. Life is full of learning curves and you, yeah, wonderful. But um, I love that attitude. You've got a great attitude that life is a learning curve and and yeah, I think that's everything's learning. And I don't even it's like, okay, 
won't do that again. <laughs> do that differently next time. So getting really ill and then coming out of that, I was like, I'm killing myself for these guys, killing myself for the investors with the obligation from everybody was just weighing me down. I was the little spark of magic that had created this brand that they all wanted a piece of and everyone was excited to own a piece of it. But they were eating me alive in the process of wanting a piece of it. And I was just drained and broken and working, trying to work 24-7 to find a way to really do something huge with this. But I came out of hospital when I had my, was conscious enough to um, communicate. I just remember saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to step back from this business, I'm just going to park it, based on the fact that it nearly killed me. That's a, you don't need much more of a wake up call than that. And I remember emailing them all to tell them what had happened and I was going to be taking some time away. And the, as you say, politely, because you never know who's listening, but the lack of um, emotion in the responses or the lack of empathy shown generally from everybody was just like, oh my God, I've been killing myself for you. And I didn't care. it wasn't, you know, the, the emotional investment definitely wasn't um, equal. So, yeah, I was just like, what a tit. I realizing that, um, what am I doing? So I didn't feel bad after that based on the responses. Yes. The guilt was huge for me because I was like, these people have put money into me. I've got to make this work. Everyone's invested. They believe in this. I couldn't do my best thing from being in the middle of that. I couldn't see the wood for the trees. So putting it down and stepping away and just spending some time getting well. Now, my um, next thing was my partner encouraged me to um, do something with all of this, this vast skill set you've got. So he started making a website in the background. I thought, that's weird. I've never had any partner do that. Well, it, Emma Boardman Communications, he started creating. I was like, what are you doing? He said, well, I've created a lot of communities here on the island, um, both online and in person, but not intentionally that I'm going to be a community creator. It's just been an expression of what I've seen missing. So I've made a group here and there's an online group. But it, this isn't something that's anything. It's just something I did. And, and so the community thing, the communications, I generally care. I want people to feel in their best self whatever that looks like and and push themselves to beyond what they think is their limit and because I know there's, there's so many things that we're all capable of doing and you say finding that thing that makes your heart sing and finding a way to do that because when that's your thing and you do it every day nothing's horrible and your work doesn't even feel like work it's like playing and so all of these things have taught me okay I I always did things in a playful way, but then things got too heavy because it didn't have the right boundaries around me. So I allowed things, other people to make them heavy. So I refused to ever let that happen again. So Emma Boardman Communications, I, I decided, yeah, all right, I wanna help other people find their commercial and creative and fun part of whatever it is they're doing to up level, level up their business or, or their life 
creatively and more commercially and just just give them a fresh perspective so I've had clients coming to me and it's and I've been consulting people for the last year I think um and that's been enjoyable again it's not my everything but I've learned a lot from working closely with other people and again there's no preparation I just sit down and and that's a very intuitive process where are you what are you doing where would you like to go what, what if, if you could be anything what would it look like and then I help them find the steps to get there based on my experience of going out full out but what happened in March is this client came to me for consulting and he's American from Texas, living here on Mallorca. And he's a very creative guy. And he's like, I just feel you're the person who can help me become whatever it, I'm supposed to be with me. And I'm like, okay, let's have a chat. So we have our, our discovery call. Um, and I was looking at some of his portfolio while I was talking to him. And all I could think in my head is, Emma and Colin, Colin and Emma, when Emma met Colin, when Colin and Emma, it's like, that's inappropriate. Like, not in a, a weird way, just in a feeling really compelled. I need to work with this guy. His range of creativity was so vast and it was visionary in, in the scale that I am. So he is an artist. He's an underground artist, done a lot of graffiti art. He's makes music. He writes. He's written screenplays. He's written computer games. He, he's a genius without a doubt. Um, and the work really excited me, the colors, the textures, everything. So at the beginning of the year, actually, Rewind, I did The Artist's Way with Julia Cameron. Have you done it? I've got the book. I've had it for 10 years. I've never opened it. Why not? I don't know. It's, it's, I, I know that when the right moment comes, I will open it and I will do it. It just hasn't happened for the moment. How funny. Well, I didn't even know about it. And somebody gave it to me in um, January. And because I was in between things, I thought she's the queen of change. Sounds like my kind of girl. So I did the course for three months and it, and it cracked me open even more creatively. I used to get jealous when I used to go to art exhibitions and um, I wasn't the artist. I can't even draw, like I can't even sing, but I see stuff. Actually, there's some of my, my pieces behind me. So I do abstract art instead with collages. Lovely. Give me a pile of rubbish and I and I create Lit. art out of stuff because you can't draw a man with fingers or anything like that. But I see stuff and, and I like to play with colours and textures. So this encouraged me to crack open my artist. So another thing I wanted to do for years is a graffiti furniture project I have always loved it I've seen a very cool company used to do it in London loved the idea of having beautifully done creative pieces bringing the urban into the house and, and there's something so um raw and fresh about really good graffiti I've always loved it so this is what happened so the beginning of the year I'm opening up I want to be an artist I want to do more with the really creative stuff and really express fully I want to write. I love writing. I love playing with words. But I had to give myself time to be the writer or the artist because I keep getting myself in businesses that like kind of take up 10 years spans. So then that becomes the main focus. So um, this guy, Colin, he's a 
his tag name's Phasmid. Phasmid is actually a name for some kind of morphing insect thing. And he be- believes that he's been given that name because he rescues so many bugs from swimming pools. <laughs> but anyway, in the um, after the call, Colin and I decided to go into business together. Amazing. Because the, the, the creative connection was so strong from both sides. We could just see... When you're as visionary as I am and he is, it's quite difficult to explain what you see to other people because you just lose them. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know where you're going with that, but we can see it and believe it. So to have somebody to be able to see as broadly as you can and understand it and be able to help you physically get there is a huge thing. So we started Kiss Kiss Bang, which is um, our... It's basically called functional art, dysfunctional design. And we're doing graffiti art, wall art, NFTs at the beginning. We want to do fashion next year. I just want it to be a creative art and fashion house, basically. We do limited edition collections. No, too, not too much stress. We just manage it piece by piece. We just released our first pieces of the graffiti furniture collection this week. So that's happening. <laughs> You are absolutely extraordinary. And I love the fact that you brought up this thing about you create communities, because this is something that I'm definitely feeling called to be doing. Um, It's part of the whole sort of fabulosity movement that, you know, we are all and the pandemic showed us this, that the thing that we missed the most was people and how communities and people needing to work together. You know, that is the future. We need to get back to community. And if you look at all the sort of online communities that are sprouting up, the, the youngsters of today hanging out, playing games with people, you know, other youngsters around the world, it's, they're all communities. And we've lost that somehow in real life, haven't we? And so I love the fact that you create communities. I'm going to be creating communities. And I really think that women, you said that you sort of in your 50th portal, I call it a midlife portal. Well, you've got to step through this portal into your midlife and become someone else. And I'm nearly there, by the way. I'm coming up to 49, but I'm kind of really excited. I feel there's such a power and energy around women at this age. And I think it's an extraordinary age. And I'm like, all the things before were just like a warm up. Now this is where the fun is really going to happen. And there's a different gravitas. I've obviously always been outspoken and, and, and creative but it was a lot harder when I was younger because I had to prove to people there wasn't just a silly blonde idiot in a way because yes. the ideas were already always a bit off the wall and a little bit ooh, controversial and I had to try extra hard now it really feels like I can be as mad as I like and I'm taken really seriously it's amazing Absolutely. And and I don't know what you think about this, but I think that what we're missing as humans is the matriarch. I feel that the matriarchs need to come back. And I think that midlife is the perfect time to step into your matriarchal position because the matriarch can sit very beautifully next to the patriarch. There's not one or the other, but we need more matriarchs. We need more women to step into their power when they get to this age, particularly and actually hold the communities, create the communities. Why do we have loneliness still? People Why do, do we have bullying? Because the communities have fallen apart. 
a year ago I was offered I was given the role of running women in business Mallorca which is a obviously again by a very powerful um superhero businesswoman here who had to relocate back to London after the thing and she gave me her group and I was kind of like oh she's brave but you know what I have adored leading these women and it's given me a taste for wanting to do that on a bigger scale so next year based on me getting confident with running that group and I bring in a guest speaker every month to inspire and, and excite and educate them on some thing that's relevant I'm in I've just put together a little team and I am organizing the mindset revolution 2023 for here in New York next October and oh. again more than just a thing it's a community I've you know what I've found um being confident popular sorry confident and almost progressive doesn't make you popular in small communities because I can imagine people can't really put a label on you you make other people question themselves by being too happy and too driven and especially in the mum world I'm really they kind of look at you like why are you not just excited that your son has just done a lovely poo in the potty? Why are you thinking about business? And I'd be like, feeling like I had to apologise doesn't make you part of a comfortable clique. But actually, the people that are you, for example, and others like standing up and setting, setting such a fresh and um, inspiring example the more you put it out there and the louder you get with the message and it the i think the more you sink into the truth of who you are so that message comes even more raw and strong and real that's where i'm finding the people and it seems like for the first time i'm being really appreciated for that and it's taken a long time for people to go you really inspire me I could listen to that all day. Tell me again, what did you just say? And I'm like, wow, this is actually quite new. And I want more of that because it's so nice to be validated. And I think we do a lot without external validation, which I think is also important because we need to know the truth ourselves. And if you're waiting for somebody else to make your truth okay, then it's not a solid way to do it. It just takes time. It keeps getting older, doesn't it? You can't, you don't have this awareness well, I just certainly didn't. Mm -mm. And I was, I was all over the shop. Me neither. So, Emma, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Can we start a little bit on your fabulous things? It is, it is, it is fabulous to meet you. The first thing that comes into my head is my clothes, my wardrobe that I've curated through vintage pieces and and fabulous things because i think our clothes that we wear is such an impact on how fabulous we feel absolutely and and i think it's it's everything and i have some i remember some pieces that were a really nice kind of thing a nice nice item maybe it was quite expensive that someone had given me and it's kind of comfy so i felt obligated to wear it but it made me feel like a dowdy boring thing and I remember it took me two summers to get rid of this little dress it was like a velvety not velvet toweling and I'm crazy for toweling but it was black with like really non-exciting quite thick straps quite a high neckline nothing sexy or interesting it had 
a couple of pockets and the fit was really comfortable. It's like the kind of thing that you'd wear when no one was really around the house. So it was my around the house thing. But do you know what the negative impact that piece of clothing had on me? And I just felt so drab in it. Take DR out of fab and it wasn't fab at all. Um, so it's huge, isn't it? It's what the, the clothes that you put on your body is everything. It, it can really make or break you. Some people say, well, it's a superficial first impression, but it is, it's not just, I don't actually buy that because I think it affects your feeling of yourself. And when you're feeling fabulous, everything's easy. Everything flows better, doesn't it? You just get, people respond to you differently. You just feel like life is just a working rainbow. But when you're feeling shit, everything's a bit awkward and a bit more hard work. So you see my first fabulous things and my favorite, especially in the summer here, lovely, fabulous caftans. I've got the most amazing dressing gown, actually. I should have even worn it today. That would have been so fabulous. <laughs> I didn't want to be that lush um, that I bought for myself when I was well, moving you know what? to your we, we need to see it now, Emma. We need to Do see it. Do you want to see it? it? Let it? Yes, please. <laughs> right, just give me a second. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so that's, basically, that's fabulous. I bought this for myself when I was moving to Mallorca because I always have, a, I'm very visual with my visualizations of every period. So I know I'm stepping into a new chapter and I visualize, well, how does that version of me look? How do they feel? How do they dress? How do they act? And I almost embody it. So I bought this thing. I actually bought it on eBay, but it's a very expensive piece. And obviously, I've been here over eight years, and it's still as good as new. It's gorgeous. Fabulous thing ever. And mm. this probably, this wins the number one slot. My second most fabulous thing, which is a very important, my daily siesta. Right, yes. Because I think the secret to being fabulous pretty much all the time is to take care of ourselves and to recharge and... I'm high energy when I'm on my, my normal vibe is pretty high energy. The high energy things run out faster than medium or low energy things. And I have a huge need to reset myself often. I don't like it when I have that kind of flat feeling of, I'm just tired. But actually we just need to take care of ourselves. So especially after the burnout of the, um, previous year I'm so disciplined and I and I don't say for example I used to book back-to-back -back things so I'd finish the call with you and I'd be straight into the next interview or, or booking a meeting with somebody and trying to cram as much in this was having a negative and detrimental effect on my health but this obligation and this requirement to say I write a siesta like a block out at least an hour possibly an hour and a half every day to reset and it's magic love it absolutely fantastic fabulous yeah. love it and also living in Mallorca it's obligatory because everybody has to see it because it's so damn hot so that's that and I'd say number three might sound a little bit um, arrogant here but um, my confidence has been my most fabulous gift to that I have innately in me and I didn't realize what a big deal it was until I got older and realized 
how many people are desperately lacking in having enough of their own. And I remember when I was at stage school, we were in the final weeks to leaving and my college was started by an amazing guy who rest in peace is no longer with us, Brian Rogers. And he was a fabulous TV choreographer, very known in the 80s, great showman. And he walked down the aisle to all the leaving third years down the line and told us what our superpower was. And yet you, your voice, you're, you're an amazing singer. You're going to make your tap dancing is just off the scale. Da, 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 da. And he got to me and he went, your confidence is your superpower. And I went, <laughs> what? <laughs> I found it quite insulting that you're a brilliant dancer and you're just confident. And I didn't understand what he meant at the time because it sounded a bit insulting. And I knew, to be fair, I didn't have the same level of skill because I'd, been, I'd gone into dancing directly from a gymnastic, like a, um, as an elite gymnast. I did some, I'd always done a bit of dancing, but not to the level of these kids who are the, the best in there, winning all the festivals. I hadn't had that layer of training, so I couldn't even tap. And you've got these superstar tappers. I was in a class called Prep Tap, where we were literally learning basic shuffles like a baby. I can tap dance. I'm a tap dance. Yeah. How are you, darling? <laughs> How exciting. We must tap dance together somehow. I'll be the more rubbish one at the back. <laughs> Miming. Uh. So anyway, um, he told me that and I didn't understand. But you know what? When we got out into the real world and we're auditioning, for some reason, that magic superpower of confidence mm. won me over all the brilliant. And I mean, there was some amazing singers in my year. Mm. We're mortified that I got a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it really is a superpower. And I remember my late father used to say, a cheeky man owns half the world. And that's absolutely right. A bit of cheek, a bit of confidence, getting out there and just doing things. Everybody else will look at you and go, oh my God, why didn't why couldn't I do that? You know, confidence gets you places. So big. It's bigger than skill, it's bigger than qualifications, it's bigger than experience. If you can own yourself and excite others about in your way it is huge and I'm very grateful for that now so that made the list and number four my books I've got I've got fabulous books um I love I'm very into self-development constantly wanting to grow and learn more number five I'd say my favorite other thing fabulous thing is my cat Rocky who's an amazing amazing British short hair cat who I've had since London and he's been on the plane with me. He's lived in all my different worlds. And that's my five things which I wrote. Emma, you exude so much confidence and positivity. I, I just thank you so much for being in the world. Do you have any kind of parting comments or advice? I'm really stuck on the narrative at the moment of saying whatever your heart is singing, find something that makes your heart sing and do that. And also, I'm writing a talk at the moment. I'm delivering it to the Women in Business New Yorker at the end of September. And it's called The Power of Yes. Because a year ago, when I took over the group, I did a talk called The Power of No. Because I was all about, we can only get to our premier position of wherever that is by saying no to an awful lot of stuff. 
that's weighing us down, that's slowing us down, that's compromising us potentially. And through going through, I think when you do something huge and loads of women are getting divorced these days. And I mean, you know, when you I meet someone and say, oh, yeah, I've got, I left my husband or I got divorced, they go, oh, I'm like, shut up. Oh, this is like, yay. Yes. It was amazing to recognize that we were not the best for each other. Yes. And we were knew that we weren't bringing out the best in each other. He's getting remarried at the end of this year. I'm so happy that they can be happy like that. And they're such a different relationship to us. So I say, um, in order to really make the magic happen, you have to be really confident with the no's, to know the right people, the people in your tiny circle, are they adding value or are they slowing you down or are they making you double judge yourself or are they enlightening you? Because I find you have a lot of, I personally have had a lot of social connections through circumstance, whether it was husbands, friends or kids, parents, or da 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 not necessarily people that you would choose, but we can exactly. kind of get away being nice, friendly, sociable people to make things work. I've had the opportunity to leave pretty much all of the expected social situations behind and start again. And it's been so empowering because choose, there's obviously some special people that I've wanted to take through, but it's a very small amount. And being able to redefine yourself in a new circle and it's not effort it's not I'm running around trying to make best friends with everyone but meeting people here and having the space and the time to find exciting people because I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago I want people who know this version of me I want people to meet me here and take me to the next level oh I love that and to and to choose those people is such a gift isn't it such an honor Emma, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to your story, listen to who you are, what you do for the world. Thank you, Bikini, darling, and I look forward <laughs> to seeing you on my poolside very soon. <laughs> Definitely, I'll be there.